Welcome to Make Your Move, the podcast designed to help you get on the property ladder and then figure out what the hell you're doing once you're on there. From deposits to mortgages, surveys to moving day, we can help. Make Your Move is brought to you by Really Moving, the price comparison site for moving home services. Let's get into our episode. Today we're speaking with Rebecca Freeman, the Director of Field Operations at Countrywide Surveying Services. Rebecca's here to chat with us about what surveying is, what people often get wrong about surveying, and to share some surveying tales from her career. So thank you for joining us, Rebecca. If you'd like, could you just start by just telling us about yourself, what you do, and um, yeah, go for it. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Rebecca Freeman. I am currently Director of Field Operations at Countrywide Surveying Services. Um, We are a large surveying business with around 400 surveyors with UK coverage. And I've worked with the business overall probably now for about, give my age away now, probably about 20 years. I joined as a graduate onto the graduate scheme back then. And yeah, I've been with the business ever since. So the last 20 years for me has been predominantly very property related and uh, I've worked personally um, as a surveyor out on the tools for about 10 10 to probably 13 years something like that I I had a a brief pause I had two two little boys um so I had a a bit of a career break in between ask me anything you like really about property I'm going to regret I said that probably (laughs) later on (laughs) thank you let's start with what you most what, what people most commonly get wrong about surveys okay um so I suppose in terms of are we talking about the perception of a survey and what actually it is yeah okay so in terms of a survey I think that you know what what we actually go out to do and sometimes the perception that can can perhaps be misunderstood is our survey that we we complete we have we have two different types of survey if you like we, we call them a level two and a level three so a level two is like your home buyer, what you call your home buyer survey, and your level three is a building survey. Now, when we go out to undertake a level two survey, which is probably the most common survey that, that we generally do, um, this is very much a visual inspection of the property. So when we're going around the property, what we what we don't do, what we can't do is obviously move furniture around or anything like that. So there can sometimes be a bit of a misconception where perhaps people do think we kind of would go in and almost sort of move everything around and 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 I suppose be quite physical in terms of what we're doing on site. It's not. It's very much visual. So we are sort of the, the eyes within the property looking for obviously the, the defects that are presenting themselves. We do do some like testing. So we will test for damp and things like that. But again, we have to sort of do that around furnishings and that kind of thing. And that's the same with building surveys as well. So I think there can sometimes be a bit of a misconception that a survey is quite a very kind of intrusive thing that happens in a property. You know, we we certainly don't drill into walls. We don't do any structural works when we're there or anything like that. So that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions, I think, that can come across. So obviously, we often say that surveys are very important things, but I feel like some people feel like they maybe don't need a survey. What would you tell people who are thinking, I don't need a survey when I buy a house? Okay, so when people are buying a property, I mean, generally, for most people, this is going to be probably the biggest expenditure in your lifetime. Yeah, it's the biggest amount of money you're probably going to be parting with. And in the majority of cases, you are also 
tying yourself up to a loan or a mortgage for a number of years. So in terms of the importance of a survey, to buy something of that nature and to commit yourself to something for such a long period of time as well, with so many financial implications, to me, it seems really quite strange why people wouldn't want to have that reassurance, but also to have, I suppose, that knowledge up front as to what they're going to be having to take on with a certain property. Because with all due respect, I think it's fair to say that when you go around a property and you're viewing it with an agent, or even if you're, you're just kind of viewing it with the vendor, you're probably in that house or flat or bungalow for, for maybe 20 minutes, half an hour. That's sort of the, the probably the standard kind of duration. You don't get to go generally back in and out, maybe the odd bit here and there to measure up for furnishings, but you certainly you know, you do not get to live and breathe and feel what that property is. So to pass over all that money, and then I guess to to put that key in the, in the door on the day when you complete, you know, to open that front door, and I guess, realise that actually, there's some pretty significant things that you weren't prepared for, I think not only is going to be very emotionally difficult to deal with, but also obviously financially difficult to deal with. And to be able to then factor in resolving that and sorting it out when you could have been forewarned, I just think, why wouldn't you be? You know, if I compare it, and this might sound a really silly analogy, but, you know, if you, if you were to go into a clothes shop, for example, and you pick up a, an item of clothing and it's got a tear in it, are you going to buy that item of clothing? You wouldn't, you wouldn't buy it, would you? You might buy it if you could go and negotiate with the shop owner to get a discount because you think, actually, I could fix it. And often that can happen with a survey. So, for example, we will go in, we will find the defects for you. We will explain what those are. We will give you guidance as to where to go to get support in terms of how those defects can be rectified or dealt with. And you will then get indications of costings. And that's what then you can take back to obviously your, your vendor and your estate agents in terms of those negotiations to allow you then to continue with that, that property purchase. Because if it's somewhere you really do want to buy, which in the majority of cases it is, when you put an offer in on a house or a flat or, or whatever, you know, you are genuinely committed to want to buy that. And immediately that's it. Your head's there, your heart's there, you're having that that property, whatever. To know that then actually you can, I suppose, have some opportunity for negotiation so that you don't put yourself in a difficult financial position. I just think, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you do it? Well, following on from that, because that was actually our next question, is about how you would take that information and use it to your benefit. So say you were going to buy that shirt or piece of clothing that has a tear in and you negotiate with the shop owner. How would someone who finds a fault after using a surveyor in a property that they hope to buy use that to negotiate on a price? Is there a specific way to do it? Do you have any advice on that? So generally what we would do, so if we find there's something wrong or something um, that needs further investigations, we will divert the customer to the most appropriate trade. So for example, if there's an issue with the reef, we would say you need to go and probably um, consult a reef and contractor. So in, in that instance, then the best way to go about things is you would obtain a number of quotes 
And obviously the vendor's got to be participating in this experience because they've got to be willing to obviously allow those quotes to go ahead and to allow the contractors to come on site and obviously do what they need to do to provide those necessary quotes. I would always say to obtain a few quotes because it never looks too good if you just were to go in and try and negotiate down with just one quote in hand you would want to have a number of quotes to to make it look obviously that you've been fair and reasonable so once you've got these quotes in hand depending on whether you are liaising with an agent or whether you're dealing with a direct sale you would then get into discussion and negotiation about what would be more reasonable in terms of the asking price for the property and more often than not that asking price will then be adjusted down to reflect obviously what you've agreed in terms of the cost of those repairs and sometimes and this is you know this does happen from time to time sometimes a vendor will suggest that they will make the repairs themselves and more often than not vendor can also be quite surprised when some of these defects come to fruition and sometimes you know they don't know that those defects are there if that ever happens and the vendor offers to make those repairs It's just really, really important that you as a purchaser obviously obtain guarantees for whatever repairs have been done so that you've got, again, some reassurance moving forward that, you know, you can, again, liaise with those contractors should anything go wrong down the line. Cool. Yeah, and you just mentioned just as they're about um, forwarding you to a specialist. Is there any other kind of common examples of things where a surveyor would point you to a specialist after finding something in the house? Yeah, so I suppose um, one of the most common aspects of defect, I guess we would generally come across is damp, damp and condensation. I mean, I'm sure over the last few years, you've heard of various media stories, particularly around condensation and damp issues. It's certainly something that is is a problem in our country. And in terms of damp issues coming to light, again, you know, in fairness to a vendor, you can often be in a property and not always necessarily know that there is a damp issue. I mean, we use a tool called a damp meter, which basically when we're going around a property, it's just got two two very small prongs at the end of it and you just lightly touch the wall or or whatever you're testing in terms of damp, you very lightly touch the wall and it will give you a reading. Now, that wall could look absolutely fine to the naked eye. But when you actually then test it for damp, you can obviously get a reading. And now we are we are skilled in such a way that we will then interpret those readings in terms of what that means from a damp perspective. And we follow trails. So we're able to kind of tell you whether or not it's what we would class as rising damp. So that's damp coming up from the ground, whether or not it's penetrating through the wall. So that's damp kind of hitting the wall and, and finding its way in and tracking in or also you know sometimes when you get damp in the most obscure places uh, it might be on the ceiling and then actually you know you go up to the first floor and you realize there's plumbing issue it's the bathroom issue so therefore you've got a leak so you know in that instance for example we wouldn't be saying to you you need to go and get a damp specialist in that would be you need to get a plumber so we you know we do our various kind of follow of the trail and then we guide you in terms of what you need to do based on what we found with with that damp issue but predominantly I mean defects really are in relation to damp roof issues again roofs are very costly if there's something wrong with them so that they're always something to be mindful of other aspects which sometimes might get overlooked but do need a lot of consideration are things like electrics again you just expect to go into a property and you expect to have lights and you expect everything to be working perfectly well now it might be 
But actually, when we look at the electrics, we will also guide you in terms of the age. You know, there could be a danger there in terms of how old those electrics are and do they actually then need rewiring? And what's that going to cost? Because that can actually be a pretty costly thing to have to, to have to outlay. So yeah, various things, I suppose. I guess the other one I'm just sort of thinking about is, again, asbestos. That's also something that obviously is, is quite a significant thing. Now, we can't, we, we can tell visually to a point in terms of looking at a property as to whether there, there is asbestos. But actually, to get that definitive, we would have to advise you to go away and get get that area tested and then there's varying types of asbestos as well in terms of what that could be but that's also another popular one okay brilliant so um obviously there are a lot of things that can be caught with the help of a surveyor that you can't find with the naked eye um but what does happen if god forbid the surveyor leaves and something is missed what can a what's the right word customer or new homeowner do in that situation okay so in terms of what we do you know what we're reporting on is based on what we see on the day so when we go out to a property there's varying factors that could mean that there's something that's happened or something that's there that we might not be able to see I, I think I mentioned towards the beginning about we don't move furnishings so when we're going into a property, we report on what we call our limitations. So these limitations might be around furnishings. They also might be around the fact that, unfortunately, we were unable to get into a certain bedroom, for example. Or even, you know, there's like examples with health and safety where sometimes we can't actually get into a roof space. Um, it might be because, for example, the loft hatch is located above a stairwell, so we haven't been able to get up there. So in those instances, we will have reported in the report that we haven't been able to go in and see that. And I think what the customer needs to just be mindful of is you know, if there's anything like that that's shown up in their report, just be really conscious that it, there could quite possibly be some hidden defects there that we've not been able to see. And then it's it's almost kind of then, unfortunately, kind of over to the customer maybe to find a way with a, another contractor that might have that ability to, for example, be able to get in the loft. But, you know, unfortunately, we do have to take aspects such as health and safety really seriously, as with, you know, again, moving furniture and things like that. One thing I would also just say with the surveys is quite often how these are presented. We kind of give a, a numbered rating. So it's like a one, a two and a three. So your one is kind of everything's pretty good. A two is we're a bit on the fence. There's a few things that, you know, we found and actually you've got to look into a few things here and there. And a three is there's some urgent attention required. And what we can sometimes find is we'll get calls back from a customer, maybe after they've moved in or leading up to the point of completion. And then maybe going back to other detail in the report, they've been almost so transfixed with the reds and the urgents. They've perhaps missed some of the written text or some of the detail within the report that's maybe given a limitation or given them a little bit of advice that then suddenly cropped up either when they've moved in or a bit later on down the chain. I would just massively advise it's so important to read the report from start to finish, even though, like I said, it's really tempting just to really flick to the juicy bits. It's so important just to read it all the way through. Yeah. So obviously you mentioned earlier the level two and level three survey. Can you go a bit more detail about what's the difference between those two and when you might need either one? Yeah. So a level two survey, I think, as I've said, is, is very much a visual inspection. Level twos are predominantly for properties whereby which sort of 1900s, built in 1900s onwards, 
not not properties that have had too much alterations done to them. So fairly standard in terms of construction and in terms of what they were originally. Building survey is more likely to be properties which are particularly old. They might be listed buildings. They might also have more quirky features, things like thatched roofs, for example. And I suppose another difference between what we would do with a level two to a level three, think of a, I suppose, a level three is much more detailed in terms of those room by room inspections. They will give you a lot more in terms of what maintenance it might be required in that property. These might not be things that in any way affect probably you needing to negotiate on the value of the property or what you're prepared to pay, but they're just giving you sort of line by line in the room what you need to do to that building right down to to potentially, you know, areas you're going to need to touch up with paint and things like that. Whereas a home buyer report is very kind of definitive. It's very kind of the aspects which ultimately are going to affect you maybe wanting to consider that renegotiation. It's your headline facts about that property. There's obviously a difference in price between them as well. Can you just pick the cheapest one or do you have to choose a specific survey for the property you're going for? That's a good question. Again, it comes down to what you're buying. So if you are buying an 1800s thatched cottage and you were to phone us up and say, I only want a home buyer, sadly, the answer you would get from us is no, we're not prepared to do that. It's not because we're being difficult. We have to adhere to obviously our own guidelines and our ICS. And if we were to carry on and proceed with that we would be not doing you justice as the customer we would be basically then telling you you know you do need a building survey and that's the advice you would get not just from us as a firm but that would be from any surveyor brilliant that's made it nice and clear when we when you when you get a surveyor and you're buying a home what can a home buyer expect the surveyor's knowledge training and expertise to be just to make them if they're listening to this feel a bit more comfortable and securing the fact that it's necessary essentially so what do you get when you get a surveyor okay so we are members of the RICS surveyors have different qualifications within the RICS so there's there's three different qualifications at present there are what we call ASOC RICS and there is MRICS which is essentially a member of the RICS is what that stands for and then there is FRICS, which are fellows of the RICS. Now, when you are looking to obtain a survey, it's important that you look for a surveyor with one of those three qualifications, because you know that they are governed and will be adhering to you know RICS rules and regulations. So that would be my biggest advice when you're going out and you're, you're seeking that survey support that's what you need to look for. Obviously, when you're kind of moving on from that in terms of obtaining specialist reports for various defects that we've discussed, you're not then looking for those qualifications. Obviously, you're looking for specialists within those particular areas. But for your specific survey that you're going up, you know, to get up front initially, those are the qualifications that you need to be looking for. Perfect. I think I've now got the fun question, uh, which is, um, in your time as a surveyor, do you have any horror stories? Do you have any Um, really awful things you've seen when surveying a property? Again, good question. So, you know, I I, I always kind of think of surveyors and the job we do as we're we're kind of quite under the radar, really. It's not something that, you know, gets talked about very much. And my son's just starting some discussions now about work experience and what he wants to do when he gets older. He's doing his GCSEs. And I said, maybe you want to do 
mummy does and he's there and he said what's that and I think that we do go under the radar quite a lot actually but actually you know what we what we do on a day-to-day basis you know on average we're going into thousands of people's properties every day and you're seeing and you're witnessing the lives of so many people play out and my goodness me what what we see from one extreme to another I mean I, I certainly could tell you some stories on here and you know I've joked over the years so many times about how we should write a book I suppose for me the most I suppose the most horrific thing I was ever kind of faced with I don't mind sharing this it, it does go back quite a few years I was actually working in Bristol at the time and uh, I was I was aligned to do a very standard what we call a mortgage valuation so this is this isn't a survey this is an inspection for the lender and I was going into a terrace property and I knocked on the door as you do I met the chap at the door everything was fine he let me in and I started doing my inspection in the normal way and the last thing we do is we look in the roof ordinarily some surveyors might go there first I didn't I used to look in the the roof last and uh, I remember setting up the ladders climbed up the ladders (laughs) and I opened up the loft hatch and as I moved the loft hatch to one side and I shined my torch into the loft I literally had about 12 pairs of human eyes staring back at me I can tell you I was down that ladder and out that house I don't even think I took my ladders with me and uh, running down the street got in the car and locked the door I think that's probably yeah the, the most horrific thing I've I've seen and um anyway it, it, it did really sadly actually it did transpire that these individuals were actually living in the loft of this three-bedroom terraced property in Bristol which is pretty horrific isn't it when you think about it yeah I mean we we don't get into the sort of mechanics of what happens after we report something like that needless to say I didn't value it and needless to say obviously it didn't find its way back to the lender thankfully sadly things like this are are common I want to say fortunately in my career that's only happened to me once but I, you know I have known it happen to others too we're in quite a fortune I'm just sort of touching on I suppose surveyor safety a, a little bit because obviously just on that point you know I was there in that property on my own I've uncovered something that probably didn't want to be uncovered for sure we operate a system where we do have surveyor safety now at the forefront so we now carry little devices around with us um, I've just got one here actually I can pull it out. It's just like a little um, key fob and um, very tiny. We can sort of push a button on that now, which means we're sort of connected to a live security centre when we go into a house. They, you know, if we get any inkling of a problem, they sort of walk around. They're walking around the house with you, if you like. Back then, um, as I said, this was many, many years ago. We didn't have anything like that. I think the most I probably had on me at the time for protection was a damp meter with two prongs at the end. That's... um. That must have been very scary, but that's what surveyors are for, I suppose. Imagine moving in there. <laughs> um, imagine, imagine. Oh my goodness, yeah. I'm going to put your Christmas tree in the loft and uh, yeah. what you discover. Yeah. Yeah. God, Jesus. Okay, so obviously that would be a situation where you'd absolutely walk away from a property. But say in the more mundane sense or the average sense, when would you tell a customer there's no point in moving here? Is there an instance where you'd say that or would you just advise? Yeah, I think I think um, there's a few probably examples I might give where I guess there's a consideration over if this is going to move forward or not. One particular one, which is worthy of talking about, albeit 
there is a bit of complexity around this um so so whether it's it's sort of fully understood on on this short call I don't know but certainly something in future we'd be more than happy to advise on but we do see properties that we class as non-traditional construction Uh, these are predominantly buildings that were put up post-war put up uh, in such a way to be quick to obviously give homes to people quickly and uh, they are construction materials that you know are not deemed satisfactory for longevity basically there's been a period of time where a number of those properties have been rebuilt over the years but not all of them have so they don't comply with with what you call current standards now it's not always very clear when you're buying a property that it is a non-traditional so if that is ever deemed to be the case more often than not quite a few of these are cash only so if, for example, you were going through a mortgage lender, you would unfortunately get to a point where actually that's probably non-proceedable. Now, if you are a cash buyer and obviously you found one of these and you want to proceed, all we'd be saying to you is, well, proceed with caution based on what you're buying because, you know, these are cash. They're below market value because of the fact they're cash only. So I guess that's probably one of the things we'd come across the most in terms of not telling people necessarily not to buy it, but just making it very clear to them that you're buying something that just isn't, you know, your run of the mill. It's not going to fall into your standard kind of property valuation. It's it's not your 1980s sort of three bed. It's it's something particularly quirky that ultimately you then might have to deal with later down the line, particularly as well in terms of construction issues and defect issues. The only other time I guess we would probably really kind of divert people or suggest they divert away from something is when we have asked for a specialist report. So for example, if there's structural movement or something maybe more sinister, like dry rot or something like that, something whereby which the property is going to face some significant, significant refurb um, to be, I suppose, back again in that mainstream. And again, we kind of, we don't tell you categorically, don't buy it, but we might come back to you and say, we're not prepared to put a valuation on this anymore because what you're buying is so significantly, I, I want to say damaged, but you know, it's, 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 it's got a problem. And actually this is going to be such a big thing to sort out that we can't give you a figure on that right now until that's really rectified. And then we do get people obviously pull out. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen that much if I'm honest with you, but it, you know, it does happen. And when it does happen, I have to say it's, it's hard for everyone involved because more often than not, you've set your heart on buying that property and we come along and perhaps tell you don't buy it or we would recommend you don't buy it. So we can quickly turn into the baddies <laughs> if we're sort of having that conversation, but we are doing it only for your own good. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's better to know than not know, isn't it? I think so. I'd hope so. When people receive the report, what are the things that you find people end up mostly panicking about or getting scared about when they see it? And how can you kind of reassure them with those kind of things? I think the the biggest thing, again, they probably get really quite scared about when they don't necessarily need to be scared is, um, I touched on it again previously, but it's the services side of things. So the gas, the electric, take gas, for example, it will more often than not in a report be rated A3, which is effectively urgent. When we say that, we basically mean you need to get a gas safe engineer to come in and obviously do the necessary checks, or you need to get the paperwork that determines that the boiler, for example, has had the necessary checks it should be to be compliant and to be safe. But people can sometimes see that and panic 
and think, oh my God, there's something wrong with the gas. I don't want to buy it. What I would say is whenever you're having a survey, a written report isn't enough. You need to build a relationship with a surveyor. And what we will do is we will speak to our customers before we go out. We will get a feel for how they're feeling about the property, if they've got any concerns. If we don't speak to you, you will have signed some terms and conditions. That's a really good place to write down anything you're particularly worried about, which we read prior to going in. And then we'll also have a conversation with you after just to talk you through it. Because again, when this lands on the doorstep or on your email, It can just look a little bit daunting. And some of those things, you know, we do have to categorise as as urgent or serious when actually it's just that you need to take action. So there's still an action to be done, which is you've got to either check the paperwork or get a gas safe engineer in, for example. But it doesn't actually mean there's a problem. Could you just to finish off share like one your one big piece of advice for people when it comes to surveying? That's a big question, I know. (laughs) Oh, so in terms of getting a survey. okay. My one big piece of advice is think about how much you are spending. It's the biggest, probably the biggest expenditure of your lifetime. For the sake of a couple of hundreds of pounds, do not think that the survey can be put to one side. I thoroughly, thoroughly recommend that anybody that's buying a property, you do not want to be the person that puts the key in the front door and gets a nasty surprise. So do your homework in terms of you know, what this will give you longer down the line, you know, if you do have issues with that property, and you can go back and renegotiate and save yourselves a bit of money to spend fixing it, it's going to be worth it in the long run. So it's really, really important. And I know I'm biased, because it's what I do. But like I said, we see thousands of properties all the time. And honestly, the, the range of what we see, the defects that we see every day, please just get a survey. Wonderful. That's um, that's the bold part of questions. That's all of it. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. So, Lisa, what's what's been your big takeaway from this this discussion? I would say that my biggest takeaway is that although you might not want to spend a couple hundred pounds, that would be the cost of a surveyor just know that you could be saving thousands in the long run and it's always worth checking what about you um i think the way a survey is compiled is the most interesting thing about the one two three if this is like the least concern most concern and that three doesn't necessarily mean there's it's got awful but it's the most concern but also that there will be information under every number so don't don't skip to the threes because it's juicy <laughs> but yeah i think that's very interesting to note that it's very clear it's not because I think some people are concerned that a survey is going to be really complicated and they're not going to understand it. But just having that little number system is, a, is, is reassuring, I think, to people. You've been listening to Make Your Move the podcast here to make moving simple. We hope you found this episode useful, but as always, everyone's situations are different. So make sure to do your own research before making your move. Make Your Move is brought to you by Really Moving, the price comparison site for moving home services. If you have any experiences or questions you'd like to share or ask that might be put on a later episode, please email us at podcast at See you on the next episode.